I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, Jeremiah was a Johnson. God damn it. Was a good family guy. Annette, they never understood a single word he said, but they sure would hear him whine. I am sorry, I didn't know. All I had was the title. My post-musical break thing I was going to say was built out. Jeremiah was Johnson. <laughs> so I'm glad <laughs> both of us are uniquely broken in the same. same uh, yeah, I, I needed to write a little verse, too. Just a little ditty. What's, how does the chorus go to that version? Um, so it's Jeremiah was a Johnson. Uh, was a good family guy. That's a, that, yeah, no, that's a verse, though. How does the chorus go? Uh, they ne- they had never understood a single word he said. Still the verse of of the so- of the three dog night song. Jeremiah but they sure would fr- hear him whine. No, I know. <laughs> so how does the chorus go to uh, the parody song that you? Oh, oh man, <laughs> I didn't go that far ahead. Whoa. What 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 uh what what is a horrifying horrifying thing I can say that rhymes with joy to the world? Uh, how about this? Not joy to the world, because uh, this this movie doesn't work out for old Jeremiah. Let me ask you a question. Last, we'll we'll talk about what the show is and why what what we're doing here. Last month we talked about Grizzly, or last week we talked about Grizzly Man, the true life story of a man who uh, goes to the Alaskan wilderness and gets him and his girlfriend. In real life, eaten by bears. Who do you think, between that guy, Timothy Treadwell, and Jeremiah Johnson, uh, had a better uh, life? Uh, um, wow. I guess it's, it's the age-old question of, do you want your wife to die first, or your partner to die first, or do you want to die first? Because it's And like, a kid that someone gave you. Do you want to be around... Do you want to to take on the the tragedy, the pain of being around afterwards, so the other person doesn't have to go through that? Yeah. Uh, or do you want to be the one that just uh, gets gets smoked? Um, because Timothy Treadwell was not around when his his uh, girlfriend died. No, and it was pretty close to each other, right? Yeah. Like they say, the hardest thing in the world is outliving a eleven year old that someone gave you on your way to somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk all We're about, talk all about it. Yeah, what is this? As a father, we're going to talk all about it. What, what is this? Here's this the thing. Is, so where we love to watch for movie podcasts, we pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and, and contrast. We're in our second week of Gotta Get Away Month, a month sponsored by Sean, who will be joining us next week to talk about the movie that inspired the month, uh, the Reese Witherspoon uh, starring Wild. 
Uh, and then we're going to wrap it up with the Harrison Ford, P- uh, Peter Weir movie, Mosquito Coast. When we started this month, I had never seen Jeremiah Johnson. I still have not seen Wild. I obviously will before we, we uh, record next week. I thought got to get away month. Like, hey, it's about someone who just feels cramped by society. I got to get out of this. I got to go make my own destiny or something out in the wilderness. Of the three movies I've seen, it also is a how do I self-destruct in some ways movie or just or just have a really sad time. Uh, I guess Jeremiah Johnson, it kind of ends on a positive note. But uh, I hope for our theme's sake that maybe Reese Witherspoon in Wild ends up fine. Because <laughs> right right now, I, I think the question to gotta get away is, no, you don't. Stay. Stay there. Don't go gotta anywhere. Gotta get a stay. Gotta get a stay. We gotta stay right where we are. If it's the last thing we ever do. Um, yeah, um, it, but yeah, uh, I feel like that's kind of I feel like that's kind of a sub theme of this month. Is it is? It's going to culminate with our final uh, episode of the month, which is Mosquito Coast. Um, which is um, what do you? What are you bringing to nature with you? We think about nature as this healing thing that you can go out in nature and maybe purify your soul or prove your mettle or, or come out a better person or, you know, maybe just bond with nature permanently. Like Jeremiah Johnson went in, out in the wilderness and Timothy Treadwell went out in the wilderness with no intention of coming back. Um, and, you it, know, well, uh, ostensibly, he, he, both he intended to, not, in Nine months out of the year, he planned to come back. <laughs> he would yeah, rather not come back. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, he specific. Well, Timothy Treadwell planned to come back, and then he got mad at the airport, and then he planned to not go back. Well, um, and, and plan and, adjusted. And Captain Mosquito Coast would have come back if someone had mildly impugned his pride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think we'll, a we'll theme of this month is what do we bring to nature with us when we go out there? What are what baggage are we carrying? Does that have an effect on nature? Um, are we are we uh, leaving the place better than we left it? There's, these are sort of the questions that we think of nature as this all-consuming massive force that like um, is so much bigger than us. But um, and it, you know, obviously, the, the the given assumption of this month is that nature will destroy those that are not prepared for it. These are these are ultimately survival stories. Um, however. The question is, um, what are we bringing to nature? What are we hoping to get out of it? And do we see ourselves as, you know, a piece of nature when in reality we're in, in, in colonizers of nature? So that's sort of a, yeah, a I, theme for the month. That I 100% agree. And actually, like, this movie really codifies something that we touched on a little bit in Grizzly Man, right? Like, that when, this idea of I need to get out of society and go out to the wilderness, you... The thing that, like, we talked about a little bit as the indigenous people of Alaska were kind of like, hey, not only is Timothy Treadful a shitty conservationist, like, he is walking into a a relationship that, like, the indigenous people here have had with bears for a long time and decided – 7,000 years by that man's – Yeah. uh, That that man's uh, taking. Yeah, and he he needs to fix it, right? And, like, this is a movie also about, like – Jeremiah Johnson is leaving the trappings of society in war and going out into the wilderness, which has another society 
that is being overrun and trampled by his own society in that. And even though he may may have like intentions on his own to be or personally to just be like, I, I just want to go out and live in nature, he is still just as impactful into the disappearance of that quote unquote society or wilderness or nature as everyone else. He's at the end of the day, ultimately a colonizer in a way that like i think this movie has a for for 1972 especially has a somewhat i'm not gonna say a nuanced view necessarily on indigenous people but i would say a nuanced view for what i would expect out of a 1972 movie but um it still kind of ends with a weird happy note of him being a uh, native american serial killer so i Oh yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, and so much. Uh, to I think, so, and, and one thing I'd like to bring to the table um, is two th- real pieces of history. One, uh, Robert Redford as a person, and Sidney Pollock as real people, and then the other is who was this Jeremiah Johnson or Jeremiah Johnston um, character in real life, and what decisions did they make to deviate from this tall tale of a you know, a, a, a Wyatt Earp or a Paul Bunyan-like figure of Jeremiah Johnson. I don't know if he's a Paul Bunyan. I don't think Paul Bunyan and Wyatt Earp are similar. <laughs> One, for example, is but they're 50 both, feet they're tall. Bo- they're, they're both people that, they're both people that are, <laughs> the fact that Paul Bunyan was supposedly it's like It's like, it's like, kind of like saying like, <laughs> it's not know, it's that like the stories from... of animals, like Old Yeller and Godzilla. <laughs> But it's not that uncommon from, or it's not that different from uh, the real life Jeremiah Johnson claiming to have killed 1,299 Crow Indians. Like, yeah. obviously uh, not true in either <laughs> capacity, but what was the underlying, you know, what was the underlying reality to the tale? I guess, yeah, Paul Bunyan was a bad choice, but like a Wyatt or, I know, I'm, I'm, or other yeah, sort of Wyatt or Pecos of the Bill. Yeah, yes. that kind of thing. Um, people were yeah, real I, people, I think it's right. but, uh, you know, their, their tall tales uh, eventually grew to not just blossom bigger I guess, than their, their, the actual well, person, well, but eventually consume the actual person. Yeah, well, I guess in that case that Pecos Bill is actually a bad choice, Johnny Appleseed would be the other good choice, because he apparently, according to Ethan Warren, is a real person, which I refuse to look up. Um, but he claims he claims that he is. Uh, so yeah, let, why don't we start there? He period? actually planted pumpkin seeds. <laughs> that fucking son of a bitch. Old how Peter dare, Pumpkin Seeds. How dare you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the apple, you know, Big Apple... No, it's not just a city in New York. It's a whole industry rewriting the tale of Johnny Pumpkinseed. Yeah, but why why don't you start there, Peter? I do want to say, if you've never heard about this movie, uh, two things you should know. A, uh, it was based on a gif that you've seen on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, Sidney Pollack saw a gif and he was like... I'm gonna make what's, a what's going on with that smiling man who gets slowly zoomed in on? Like, that what is some, he for smiling some reason, people about? think is Zach Galifianakis. Uh, and, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of people thought it was from McCabe and Mrs. Miller too. Um, I, I remember when like the gift became look like him though. <laughs> no, but I think it's just like, oh, this looks like an old West people thing that film nerds are freaking out about. I'd never seen this movie before, but I do remember when the gif like was getting widely used that a lot of people were like, what the fuck movie is this from? It was fun to see the whole version. You you like those six seconds, try these 122 two minutes. So that's fun. And then also the other reason that you should have seen this movie is because if you were in 1972, if you lived in 1972, this movie uh, was bigger than fucking Jaws, I guess. Like, 
<laughs> what a, like when you go back and adjust stuff for inflation and figure out like what made stuff its budget sometimes like the movies that are these monster successes are really surprising to to you like uh i mean i don't want to go into a lo- uh, long like oh the changing landscape of movies doesn't allow yeah for you guys can fit. go read uh, ra- uh you know uh what is it raging bulls um uh, yeah like you, you guys can go read. You can guys can go read the classic Hollywood narrative of uh, Easy Riders, uh, Raging Bulls. Like you can go fig- read the the concept that like Spielberg and Lucas ruined Hollywood forever and destroyed the new Hollywood movement. Yeah, I don't. I I also I, I like. I don't care about any of that. Like ever, like a lot of those adult drama stuff move to TV where they can tell a more expansive story. Good or you know, there's good examples of that. Bad examples of that you know but like blockbuster entertainment change and stuff like that but i, I don't want to get into like i don't know if that's good or bad because some of, I mean, some of my favorite movies ever exist because of like the change from jeremiah johnson being the biggest fucking movie of all time or whatever and you know and jaws and star wars uh being good so i don't i don't think it's a good or a bad thing but uh adjusted for inflation as i told peter who's uh your wife was like i think i've seen this before and i said well that doesn't necessarily surprise me because she grew up in a very pro horse household, as I understand it. Yeah, they were pro pro horse partisans. Um, they were like anything with horses we like, uh, and that's why they chose that camp for her because they're like this camp's got horses. We're a horse family. Yeah, and they um, found out that my uh, mom rides horses on occasion, and they assumed that I could offer some sort of. Um, reverse horse dowry to them. Yeah. Um, well, it's you know it's 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 after um, you know feminism has happened. We're all we're all in a post feminism. A few world. times. Yeah. We, we did. We, you know, these are modern times. We've done a we've done a few feminisms, which means that now dowries are reversed, mm-hmm. and men have to pay <laughs> women's fathers in goats yep. and land. Uh, but you know, one yeah. horse is worth at least three goats, if only by weight. Yeah, and I think the other thing that you know that your mom offered up to your wife's family is like this guy can hypothesize about what would happen if famous horse Mister Ed was in other movies that Mister Ed was notably not a part of. Yeah, and I think <laughs> them being like, whoa. The imagination on this guy to be able to take just any old movie and be like, like, I can't even imagine Mr. Ed in 10 movies. You're saying this son of yours could imagine Mr. Ed in any movie? And they're like, try it. And they're like, okay. Benji comes home. And then you're like, woo. Hello, Benji. We're we're both named horses. Oh my <laughs> God! Can they get married right now? <laughs> yeah, negotiations broke down, but in a good way. Yeah, usually it's referring to <laughs> stop. Like, neg- you know, <laughs> give me the contract. The the Serbs will continue to bomb this village. Like you usually think about negotiations breaking down in there, but like my parents were like, "No, we should continue negotiating. We can offer you more things. Look under your seat." I don't know how Molly would ultimately feel about it, but I do like the idea of keeping her dad as a major character of this show, who sounds like a carnival barker except reversed, where he is constantly 
bought, buys into amazing things. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, you're telling me he has you can put a whole remorse. phone in your pocket. <laughs> he instantly goes through the first couple stages of grief and denial for buyer's remorse. And, then, and he's instantly like in the stage where he's like, actually, it's awesome that I bought this horse. <laughs> actually, horse. I'm, I'm really happy with my purchase of this Range Rover. Yeah, it is true if you guys have kids that your kids will be half horse family, but not in the Bojack Horseman way. Um, just in liking yeah. horses. Frankly, you got me too excited about the concept of me having a centaur child. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. That that is not impossible, but unlikely or yeah. improbable. I mean, anyways, the I whole was... point of this is that this movie made three hundred and five million dollars in today's money at the box office. It literally <laughs> made uh fifteen times its budget, uh, which is just I mean you know, the, its budget was not immodest for the time. It seems small now, but obviously, again, it, it had it had a budget essentially of um, just for inflation, like you know, I don't know, like fifty, forty million dollars. <laughs> yeah, made, this and this a ton is of money. And this is also fascinating from an era where they've been talking about the the you know the western as a picture is is dying since the mid 60s and even earlier actually so like the concept that this movie would make that much money is kind of crazy until you consider the fact that robert redford is the star um there are other factors in there like when it came out but uh robert redford is a is one of those actors that like we have i would love to cover more movies from this era of Sidney pollock yeah. and this era of robert redford and sometimes together like i can't believe we haven't done three days of the condor um they did seven movies together uh, which is pretty incredible some of them are really well uh, well renowned but um some of them are not but the <laughs> the 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 point is that like they just kept working together and then kind of the peak of this in terms of notoriety and Oscar fame is is out of Africa. Um however, like Jeremiah Johnson and Three Days of the Condor are the ones that like in film in you know like film uh, snobs minds um end up sticking around the most, but like this is a movie that made a bunch of money and I don't think has like a a great uh, imprint on the culture. I think that that GIF is it. But like, as you just pointed out, people don't even have an ID for the GIF most of the time. And sometimes they uh, have the absurd uh, idea that a bearded Robert Redford looks like Zach Galifianakis, which is <laughs> like super flattering for Zach Galifianakis because Robert Redford is genuinely one of the hottest people that's ever walked the earth. Uh, yeah, that's very clear in this movie. Uh, I like a lot of Redford movies from this era, too. It is, anytime you watch, like, a Butch Cassidy or a, and the Sundance Kid or, like, The Sting, uh, it is kind of funny just to be reminded of how, like, impossibly attractive both Paul Newman and Redford were at the And then time. they were like, friends and they would hang out shirtless, be drinking friends, and be shirtless. An amazing thing about Jeremiah, sorry, an amazing thing about Robert Redford, he's very selective about his roles. So, like, he has the 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 quality that very few actors have, which is that you can go through their filmography and 
every movie is for some reason interesting. So you're like, why did they decide to do one movie in 2002? Why did they decide to do The Clearing? <laughs> like, there's a there's yeah. a, a piece of fascination by these actors who got very rich in their 30s um, and managed their money well, so they didn't have to do any of this shit. Like, the fact that Robert Redford popped in for one Marvel movie <laughs> and then bailed is like... <laughs> even that feels a little out of character like being the villain in one marvel movie which is like honestly for an actor the coolest position to be in like i'm gonna be i'm gonna come in i'm gonna vamp i'm gonna give you a big performance i'm gonna i'm gonna get to have some fun on this film set that's essentially a machine anyways (laughs) have some fun and then get out of here like even that feels a little bit crazy in his career where like um He's working with, like, David Lowry, and, like, ha- you've seen All is Lost, right? Uh, no, I haven't, to you, my shame. You, sh- you definitely should. I, I know. It's um, still, it's, yeah. But my first exposure to him, yes, as you said, was was as uh, Old Man Redford, because he was doing an occasional movie here and there, and my first exposure to him, actually, as an actor that I can remember was David Spade making fun of him. I think there was a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie coming out, and David Spade made a joke about him being uh leatherface because rubber redford is like an outdoorsy guy yeah. and he really shows his his age and his skin um mm. so uh he's a guy that you know spent a lot of time actually uh roughing it and and you know being around utah and living full time in utah and, and and enjoying the winters there and hating the winters there um instead of just uh shooting himself up with botox and uh he got a lot of like you know, sort of like late night jabs from David Spade types. And like, at the time, I didn't have any means of processing it. But now looking back, I'm like, David Spade, old man Robert Redford is hotter than like most people. Like, <laughs> a 70 year old Robert Redford is hotter than like most 25 year olds. I don't know what you're doing, man. <laughs> yeah um but yeah so that was my first exposure was like jokes jokes on late night about this like old sort of storied actor and like i just took him as like oh that was the george clooney of his day like that was the that was the the big actor that's in all the movies of his day i probably thought more like val kilmer but let's say george clooney because it's probably more more accurate (laughs) um but yes so this movie this movie was uh, originally supposed to be a Sam Peckinpah. It was originally uh, a, a Lee Marvin kind of more exploitational kind of story, which makes sense given the historical background of it. Because mm-hmm. there was an actual Jeremiah Johnson. He was, uh, in some capacity, uh, a mountain man who hunted, lived on the mountains, and then became a adversary of the Crow Indian uh, population. And we'll come back to that in a little bit, but um, he uh, claimed to have killed somewhere between 300 and 1,299 Crow Indians and scalped every one of them. And he had a, um, he eventually picked up a reputation for being a little bit of a cannibal, a liver eater. <laughs> um, I think most historians have gone back and reassessed kind of that image because there's a biography that's very famous and has been reprinted time and time again about this this guy um from the times which is like um calling him the crow killer and calling him johnson the liver eater 
And when historians went back, they were like, oh, Jeremiah Johnson was making jokes about cannibals and him being tempted during lean times to resort to cannibalism to kind of shock and freak out his audience. So he probably was never a cannibal. Um, Also, uh, the real Jeremiah Johnson uh, definitely scalped uh, Native Americans. um, But the, you know, him saying he ate the liver of and scalped every every Native American he ever met is obviously bullshit. Um, But this is all tall tales. Maybe, you know, in retrospect, maybe this movie isn't as even partially nuanced as I thought. (laughs) <laughs> so they, they the the these the, the, they were uh there were all these crazy tall tales going around that um jeremiah johnson uh was this he was he was he would go on these wild west shows and uh it kind of produced two fictionalized narratives so we don't actually know that much about the real guy um but he was, uh, but they took some, John Milius, when he was writing his script, and John Milius was fired from the production because he didn't get along with Robert Redford or Sidney Pollock. Uh, and then, then eventually John Milius was brought back into the production. Um, he based it on sort of um, a version of the character, but he decided so much of this was bullshit that I'm just going to make the character someone that people can actually like root for to some capacity. Um, so he deserted the Mexican-American, the real Jeremiah Johnson deserted the Mexican-American War, possibly after striking an officer. Um, and I feel like, so there's a, there's, a, there's a few moments early in the film, like he's seen uh, wearing fatigues, military fatigues, uh, under one of his, his pelts, and he's wearing like a pea coat and a hat. Um, that kind of imply that maybe he's a deserter, maybe he served out his time, and he was, you know, just bounced but regardless he's like haunted by the mexican-american war regardless um the film doesn't really um speak much to jeremiah johnson the character's background um but he uh but the real story um the real tall tale i should say involves him making peace with the crow indians after 25 years of of killing uh them and uh, he actually joined the Union in the Civil War, which is definitely not part of the story. Both of these are not really part of the story of the movie, but um, at least at the end of the movie, he sort of makes peace with, um, what's it, Red, uh, what's his name? Paints his shirt red, the lead Crow Indian that he interacts with. Yeah. Um, but he eventually, the real Johnson, joined the Union in the Civil War, was honorably, honorably discharged at the end of the war, um, and he died in a veteran's home in Santa Monica, which is just obviously Los Angeles in the, the 1860s, uh, excuse me, uh, in 1900 was very different than what it is today. But that's not the way that this character is depicted as going out, right? Like this character no. is depicted as like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight, you know, whether I get along with the Crow Indians or not, I'm going to fight for, for the sort of frontier lifestyle. I'm going to go, I'm going to go pursue on this dream of, of living as a wild man forever. Um, and John Milius writing the script scrubbed a lot of that stuff and made it a more nuanced kind of deal where like, um, <laughs> the the uh flathead indians um which i'll i'll get into even that name flathead indians is like kind of controversial um as well as the crow indians are kind of like two groups that he's constantly interacting with and bouncing off of um but in reality like we don't know how much of this story is true other than he was a mountain man he definitely killed and he definitely participated in scalping that's (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of it. 
So I don't know if that leads you to any reactions to what the movie actually depicts. It's a it's a very odd structure. We have no uh, background on the character when he enters in the seat. Just like he, no, he served in war, what? he's clearly haunted. He wants to be a mountain man. That's it. Yeah. We we know he wants to get away from it all. Um, which is why he fits in so well to this month. And all like he like you get you know, it it's fine. It's a classic, like silent Redford character. He clearly just wants to survive, doesn't want to be bothered. And then even at the end when he you know, there's about twenty minutes to go left in the movie, and spoiler, I guess, he finds his wife like two things that were kind of forced upon him, which is his wife and his son feels a little bit of a loose term, but his adopted son, I guess. Uh he finds them dead, and then it does a montage of him. <laughs> Like, do, going full Charles Bronson and Death Wish was just hunting people and killing them without too much of an explanation of, like, are – is he supposed to be hunting down all the people that hurt his son? Is he supposed to – and his wife? Is he just supposed to be killing any of the, the tribe itself? Like, you know, all these things that don't – like, they never really get at. And then, like, that 15-minute montage of him – jumping like like superheroing like batman jumping out of stuff and landing on people and killing them then he he meets yeah the one that he has some mutual respect with and they kind of nod at each other i think i i think i i think that i think that if we want to pause there really quickly like for someone who's seen the, the movie a few times it's very yeah. clear to me what they're doing there because there's like but like a lot of the dialogue is john millius dialogue which is like this sort of like vulgar poet um who um like a character a random mountain man that there's a character named del Gu, uh del gui um del gu um who is like sort of a raving mountain man most of the people he runs into are raving mountain man men um del gu and uh Bearclaw kind of help explain what's going on here because Robert Redford is a silent protagonist. It's not. And that's that Robert Redford immediately finds the people that kill his family, slaughters them, and then leaves one to go because he's like singing this this song. And for some reason, he, he decides to not. He decides to not kill him. He lets that man live. And then from that point forward, it's not that he's just indiscriminately killing them. It's that the, um, the Crow Indians... Um, which I think actually at this point, let me park really quickly because I don't want to keep saying Crow Indians the whole time, but we will. We'll use that term inter- intermixed because it's kind of a complicated thing. Uh, the Crow, I wanted to look up if that was like an offensive thing because the term flathead is kind of borderline slurry. Um, Crow Indians is not necessarily a slur. Um, the actual name of the tribe is the Absaroka, uh, Ab- uh, Absoro, uh, excuse me, uh, and the, uh, there, which means children of the large. Uh, beaked bird and the french were just like oh that's a crow so the the french started calling them crows and then other tribes nearby started calling them crows as well so it's it's a little bit different um the crow indians don't send there's a moment when um del gu says oh you're lucky they're not apache apache would send 50 after you to murder you the crow send they they build up an adversary they decided this Jeremiah Johnson crazy mountain man is killing crows. So we're going to send one guy at a time, like a hitman or a challenger. And then when they find you, they'll fight you. So he's not just like slaughtering random crow. It's that he gets revenge yeah. for his family directly. And then there's 
like hitmen coming after him in pursuit. And it kind of morally, it changes who the character from history and tall tales is, but it morally kind of lets him off the hook for the movie because um, he's getting, he gets his immediate vengeance. He's not hunting women and children. He's not hunting for scalps. He's not doing anything for, you know, a capitalist pursuit. He just wants to continue being a mountain man and living out on his own. And actually is regressing into a deeper mountain man and he's getting, uh, hunted. And then he is like, you know, countering the, the hunter becomes the hunted sort of a thing. That's why there's a yeah. montage. So I think you can make that case for the sake of the movie as it's depicting him. I mean, I do think like obviously like we're 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 two white guys talking about just a it, it's not that complicated. <laughs> we're we're, issue, gonna, we're like, gonna step on stuff. We're gonna step on stuff for sure. Well yeah, I mean like the well, why is he there in the first place? Like there you know, yes. there's 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 that, right? And like And is it worth passing on the stories of a famed liar and Indian killer? I'm using the yeah, term probably Indian not. killer specifically yeah. because, you know, that's... Yeah, you know, this whole thing, I was going to get into this more when we got to the movie, but I'm fine talking about it, like, now. Like, did you read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books? Uh, no, I didn't. Little House on the Prairie, Little House on the Big Woods. That's not too shocking to hear, Peter, by the way, from you, just because that seems like the exact type of thing you would have had no interest in whatsoever, even from a young age, based on everything you know. But it was it was those you know, it was books that like my my family went like with Narnia and stuff like that. Uh kinda like I'm doing with my my daughter right now, where we like go through like the Ramona books or the Fudge books, stuff like that. We went through all, all eight of the Little House books. And, you know, as I was, like, looking at what book series to read with my kids, um, so I, I didn't have, like, there are parts of those books that I that I liked and parts of them I very much did not like. So they were not things that, like, like a, like a Super Fudge or, a, you know, Ramona the Pest book that I was like, oh, I can't wait till I can read these to my kids. It was more just like, oh, should I read these to them? And as I was, like, remembering stuff and my own thoughts about them, I was kind of like, yeah, well, besides a lot of stuff – depiction wise i just was never that into them and they're they're kind of boring but one of the things like as i was remembering and going through wikipedia and reading plots and stuff like that i was remembering that they're like they're super depressing in a in a very specific way that like they keep moving further and further west and like things keep going bad for them right like they have they're still written in these like young adult like elementary school grade type books but like you know, kids die and, like, you know, they have to keep moving towns because, like, they just can't survive another window, winter. They don't have money. And, like, things just are constantly worse. And their their response to that is to just keep going deeper and deeper into the West. And maybe they'll find something. I remember there's, like, a book later on that my I remember my mom, like, specifically calling out because, like, they finally get this farm going. They have this wonderful crop. Of like stuff, and they're finally like five books of this this person's real life, right? Like they're going to make money on their wheat harvest or whatever it was, and like you know they're not going to have to worry about money, which has never happened in any of these books. And that is the the that is the year of the locusts. And right before <laughs> they're like right before they're about to harvest their crops, like the locusts come and they and they take everything out. And why like this movie just reminded me of that too, where it's like. You know, from the beginning of this movie, there is just, like, this sense of tragedy. This tragedy based on, like, 
Specifically, even though, like, again, referred to in the movie, like the Flathead Indians and the and the and the Crow Indians don't like each other, there is just this whole new dynamic that's introduced by this pushing and encroachment of white people and Americans into land that was predominantly, uh, you know, the indigenous people's land, and more and more people. And it's not just here's a few explorers. Um, it's like families attempting to settle and, you know, unbeknownst to them or whatever innocence you want to give them, like they don't know that they're because they're dumb and the culture didn't care about those things. And they were saying that God wanted you to build a house here. <laughs> like they are, they are stepping on land. That's not, Oh, sorry. What? This prairie. Mm-hmm. The, both God and the marketing folks want you to build a house on this prairie. <laughs> exactly. A little house, ideally. Um, not too big it, people don't want to think it's, it's some luxurious just house. make it a little modest house make it like a room ideally like a room get a fireplace in there I guess you just sleep on bunks somehow you guys keep conceiving kids which is probably terrifying all you guys when you wake up in the middle of the night but you gotta conceive kids because kids keep dying you know you want to have a few brothers and sisters in there but anyway um, you know, in, in retrospect, like those books were just these, like, I, I remember at one point thinking like, why don't they just go to a fucking town or go back? And like, it's not like the, the town or like Springfield, Missouri isn't also built on like land that was stolen from indigenous people at the barrel of a gun, but like they just kept encroaching and kept encroaching and things kept getting worse. And like, they never put those things together. And the thing that kind of sealed it for me about like, why I wasn't going to read this is like there's like a line to to my kids is there's a line in Little House of the Prairie that they say, you know, like this, this is an example, but this sediment is repeated over and over in the book. And again, I'm going to use Indians, which is just the line in the book. So my family packed up and moved to an, to an area with no people at all, just Indians. <laughs> like that's the quote. Like yes. when he moves to the little house in the prairie. And like that was the sentiment. And even when these books were written in the 30s of like, hey, like there's no people here, just Indians. And like they don't count as people, which is like, you know, so clearly articulated in these like these books that are still celebrated. But it just really gives gets you a sense of like even something that's, you know, those books take place in the 1870s. They're written from the 1930s and they still kind of have that perspective. and. Those, like, that story really just reminded me a lot. Like, that was the touch point of Jeremiah Johnson. Because, again, it's just nothing but tragedy. <laughs> he has some tragedy that gets him there. And it's not – the tragedy is not all happening to Jeremiah Johnson. But, like, person frozen to death. Mom and – a mom who just watched some of his kids slaughtered. The quote-unquote crazy woman uh, narrative is so fucking heartbreaking. And that performance yeah. is wonderful. Wow. Like that moment where where they're trying to they're trying to bury her children and um he's basically just driving it because she's just so just mentally somewhere else. She's just so disassociated. Um understandably, very understandably. Um Yeah, no she, judgment there. Uh and she starts singing like now we gather at the river, which is like, if you hear that in a Western, you know, things are about to go very poorly. Um, <laughs> uh, do not like sing about the shit. river. <laughs> do like, not. If you hear the river at a Talking Heads concert, you're like, oh, we're probably about to get to an encore. If you hear the river being sung about in the Old West, get out. <laughs> 
do not stick around. They're not talking about around. they're not talking about some uh, cool uh, lazy river rafting festival. They're talking about the river. No, sticks. if you hear about a if you hear a song about a stream, you or stay Jordan. put. Watch the, the show. Jordan, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, so this this woman uh, is having a very bad time, and she's like trying to she starts singing, and he, Mister JJ, uh, he hasn't been hanging around people very much, and he's like, oh yeah, I guess I'm singing now. Um, that <laughs> moment is tragic. Yeah, so so that's definitely a big piece of meat for us to chew on in, in the main part of the episode. But like, I definitely want to put aside the real guy, despite bringing up a lot of uh, gross details about him as a person, um, because like they they specifically when they were writing the movie wanted to get away from that, and they also hired like actual Salish, uh, uh, Native American Salish uh, advisors to help with the movie, notably this guy, Johnny Arley, um, as a technical advisor uh, to assist with the language, the cultural norms. He had he changed entire scenes because Sidney Pollack was like, I brought you on to change, to make sure the yeah. shit is sound. Um, so like, but like, that's a version that would not have happened in the Sam Peckinpah Eastwood version. Um, which, by the way, no. Sam Peckinpah and Ian Clint Eastwood fucking hated each other, and I would love to have some like weird found footage of those two arguing. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, but it is that weird thing where it's like this is more nuanced than a lot of westerns of its time, or that came before it, but still is unfortunately like you know it's still it's still treating a manifest destiny and American expansion as an as an inevitable. And then chronicling the skirmishes as almost like things that were bound to happen based on two things, right? Like it's 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 not again, I, not that Jeremiah Johnson needs to reckon with all that stuff or that's a too big of a lofty expectation, but you can't seeing it through the prism of 2021 or anything else, you can't help but notice like, yeah, there, you know, he's just not getting really how a lot of this could be avoided and no one in the movie is and the movie's not really either yeah yeah and and to be to be frank um the fact that they took this story of how awesome uh it would be to kill a bunch of uh native americans and take their scalps and sell it for money into this story about um someone attempting to live out in the wild um and it turning into a complicated and violent struggle um that that leaves him broken as a man uh is a deeply 70s take on a western like it's not quite yeah. on the McCabe and, and Mrs. Miller level where it's like um it's, it's essentially a movie about how westerns are bullshit um yeah. it, it definitely thinks westerns are kind of cool because the shootouts in the last act of this movie rule um yeah but uh, it is at least at least attempting to get there. So I'm glad we kind of wrangle with that. And really quickly, I want to talk about like Robert Robert Redford and Sidney Pollock had a deep relationship, and they shot all of this movie in Utah, despite the fact that it takes place probably in Montana. Um, that's where these yeah. tribes existed. This is the territory they're talking about. This is, um, you know, in Utah, it would have been a completely different group of cultural norms um however robert redford fell in love with utah um and we don't need to break into that too much because i imagine anybody that has 
read about Sundance Film Festival has probably gotten a propagandist version of this, but um, Robert Redford is, is a deep conservationist. He would buy large tracts of land, sometimes, you know, 18, one of his largest tracts of land is like 1,800, uh, 2,000 acres, and 1,800 of it is uh, conservated land. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would leave a lot of it just to be protected. Um and he he so loved Utah that he was like an actual guide when he was making this movie and guide them to locations and help them get out of like get their snowmobiles if they were snowbound like out of locations and like help the cast and crew stay warm and like being just like a real a real like man's man but also just like a he he took this film under his wing he was like this is something that's important to me And it's just very interesting that a super exploitational sort of story gradually over time through the filtered through Hollywood, filtered through new Hollywood, um, filtered through changing directors, eventually landed in this this movie that's largely about the beauty of nature um, and the complications between man and nature. It's not about how rad it is to, you know, go fight Indians and mark your land. Um, yeah, I definitely think, like, if you're going to tell this story in 1970s, the best possible version of it from, like, a not being, like, unwatchably racist is Sidney Pollock and Robert Redford, right? Like, you mentioned Peckinpah already. If Peckinpah makes this movie, it's, like, one of those things where it's like, look. I have eight caveats to tell you if you can squeeze some enjoyment out of this movie. Yeah, you're gonna see you're gonna see an amazing gunfight in Act Three, but in Act Two, you're gonna see a lot of sexual violence that you yeah. didn't want to see. Yeah, like how do you feel about? Uh, it would have taken the the little house on the prairie, right? <laughs> Approach of like, well, here's people, and then here's where indigenous people, and those are separate buckets. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Anyways, yes. 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 Um, so let's, yeah, let's uh, talk let's about forward. Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah, yeah. he was a Johnson. Jeremiah he wasn't a he wasn't was... a good friend of mine. Never knew the guy. He sounds like terrible, to be honest. Uh, sounds like not I, a good friend to most people. To me, I I would I, I would have been glad to see this guy go. He, the real guy sounded like a real piece of shit. Seems like a real piece of shit. You see this guy walking, you stay on the other side of the river. I'm going to go be a mountain man for a long time, maybe murder some people, and then go brag about it to scared white people in a a theater. Well, not a theater theater, (laughs) but, you know, just a, (laughs) whatever the the 1900s version of a trailer park is. Um, I think anyone who, look, I think anyone that claims to, even if later on he became chill with them, to kill 12,000 of any sort of people? Not a good guy. Jeremiah Johnson made his way into the mountains, betting on forgetting all the troubles that he knew. The trail was wide and narrow. Eagle or the sparrow showed the path he was to follow as it flew. A mountain man's a lonely man and he leaves a lot behind. It ought to have been different, but you oftentimes will find 
That story doesn't always go the way you had in mind. Jeremiah's story was that kind. Jeremiah's story was that kind. Peter, yeah. what happens in JJ? In JJ. Um, the old Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, it's about a, a man. <laughs> he's a pre-mountain man who decides he wants to be a mountain man. <clears throat> um, he starts the movie as a veteran. Of what was he before? Would you just say a man? He's just a man. City man? He's a city man. He's a he's a city mouse. Plains man? It doesn't have to be about like geotopographical area. <laughs> Plainsman sounds like, uh, for some reason, they're identifying a serial killer, but they don't have any particular MO to market. It's just like, well, he kills a lot of sex workers, so we're going to call him the Plainsman, I guess. He does what it do you, what's, what's, uh What's the temperate, San, like, what's San Diego called? Uh, so, Southern California? No, I mean, like, topographically. Oh, oh, oh. Um, it's a good question. Uh, it's a desert climate. It's a desert climate. So you're a desert man. I'm a desert man. It's dry, I guess I would low be humidity, a... low rain. Yeah, I'm a desert man. I get, am I a plainsman? I'm more you're of a, a hillsman. You're you're a hillsman? Isn't Minnesota I mean, notoriously flat it... in the area that you're in? Within, let's say, 200 miles? No, it's not North Dakota. I mean, it is pretty flat, though, I guess. Yeah. I'm I mean, I know. I understand. Country. Like, near Lake Superior, there's, like, rolling hills. You're not a... You're not, Minnesota's no Duluth. Look, Peter, I'm a lake man. A lakeman. A lakeman. <laughs> of the Farmington Lakemans. <laughs> so, I, as a desertman and a lakeman, I think we can agree that this man... You're kind of almost an ocean man, though. Like, you're a co- No, you're a coast man. I'm I'm three miles from the coast, so I don't know if I qualify. I, I don't wake up I don't and smell think, the salt. I don't think air. like they they count the coast as like eight inches or whatever where the ocean is the same. Like I think you're close enough that you're a coachman, a, co- a coachman, a coastman. <laughs> Wait, shit! Now I'm a coachman. <laughs> you're a coachman. <laughs> I, I'm not good around. And I'm first cattle. class all the way, baby. <laughs> I don't think they respect me. Large cattle don't respect me. I can't be a coachman. No, you're a coastman, which coastman. is, which is, uh, sounds like a coast guard who like didn't make it all the way. <laughs> hey, I got to coast man. Like you all right, I on just the boat, didn't. But you can hang out on the beach and just watch. It's like boats. passing. It's yeah. It's like passing law school, but not taking the the LSAT or whatever. <laughs> like technically, I am a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> I I am a coast man, but no, I am not a ghost guard. I can I can be a man on the coast. What I can't do is guard you from the coast. That's um, the rules. Did you guys know that there was a biography of Who's me? You guys um, starring Carrot Top. <laughs> it was called Coastman, and it uh, the tagline was uh, he's the he's the coast man with the most man. It's kind of depressing. Yeah, yeah, I made no money off That's, of it. You were kind of, and... I'm kind of pre-stealing jokes from the Mosquito Coast, where I'm going to call it the coast with the most. <laughs> the coast with the most. Yeah, I mean, you're That's that, I'm basically Babe Ruth calling my shot. 
Yeah, uh, if you can hurry up and edit this episode and remove my joke, it would really help it land in uh, the Mosquito Coast episode. In two weeks, I will say the same joke again. Two weeks. Um, Anyways, so um, he is a Mexican-American war veteran uh, who is... uh, Desperately trying to get a Hawken rifle. He wants a 50 or larger. He settles for a 30. Uh, then he goes out to uh, out to the mountains. Um, somebody tells him to go, uh, what is it, due west to the sun and then turn left to get to the Rockies. Um, so he, A lot of directions that really are probably not all that helpful. I get it's a pretty like, map no, quest no, but era. Like, is there, are there rivers? Do I have topographical markers? Frankly... He's a lot less anxious than I would be uh, in this situation, going out into the wild. Um, this scene is 30 seconds long, at so the, maybe at, we move At on. the next river, go as many miles as you want to give up and live there for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you're trying to be a mountain man. Keep walking till you see some big fucking triangles, and yeah, then you live on the mountain. Mountains! Like, oh, I said Alexa. <laughs> This has happened a lot recently. Do you do you have a an a, uh, Amazon uh, Echo down there? I do, yeah. Which is why, like, a lot of... And it's hooked up to our Ring doorbell, so a lot of times... And I have meetings down here, like, when I work from home, so a lot of times I'll, I'll be in the middle of meetings talking about something and someone will go, someone is at the front door. <laughs> it's very ominous. It was very ominous the last time it went off. Someone is at the front door. Um, so... Jeremiah Johnson goes out to the mountains, um, theoretically the mountains of Montana, though this movie was shot in Utah, and he uh, is very bad at being a mountain man. Uh, he, Whenever he starts fires, he starts them under trees, which causes the trees to drop snow on his fire. He's trying to catch fish with his hands. Um, he keeps missing um, does and deers. Um so uh, he, he's having trouble eating. There's a um, Native American uh, from the Crow tribe um, p- called Paints His Shirt Red that shows up and gloats at him and then walks away. Um, but more nicely, there's a uh, mountain man named Bearclaw he runs into who sort of takes him under his his wing, though I imagine because his name is Bearclaw, we should take him under his furry, furry arm. Um, so Bearclaw trains jeremiah johnson to be a mountain man he went out there he probably would have died on his own um he trains him by kind of you know uh out of the frying pan into the fire by having a bear chase him um through the uh through the the snow and then has uh the bear follow him into uh his his, you know uh bear claws uh cabin um, he has the bear follow uh, Bear Claw into his own cabin, and then Jeremiah Johnson is responsible for killing that bear. Because Bear Claw just hunts bears. Uh, he also drops a piece of information here that's uh, interesting, and we'll come back to it, which is that Jeremiah Johnson came out here to be a trapper, and he thought that would be his means of commerce. Um, however, the area he selected, um, and most of North America, was kind of um, done with trapping by the time that we got here. So um jeremiah johnson is is left to be a mountain man trained after uh bear claws own own devices eventually these two separate 
They, um, Bearclaw has taught him everything that he needs to know, and ultimately, like, Bearclaw doesn't live out in the middle of fucking nowhere to be near people, and Jeremiah Johnson didn't intend on just, you know, hooking up with, uh, another mountain man. He intended on being a mountain man, not a mountain man. And he starts venturing out in the wild. One day he stumbles upon a cabin. That is, uh, a, a, a woman is running around... Uh, almost uh you know erratically um and 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 talking to what are evidently corpses um so he comes up and he takes control kind of he he's trying to calm her down he's trying to assess the situation and he helps her and he immediately says we need to bury your family you need to you know put this put these things aside and 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 move on um she is not showing any sign of real recovery here she is uh is, is continuing to lose it. Um, and so he helps her bury his, her family and then he's ready to move on. And then he discovers a small boy in the cabin and she begs him, she hands him a flintlock and begs him to take the boy in the flintlock with. Now he's in charge. The, the man who wanted to be alone is in charge of a, a little boy. Uh, those two travel bond slightly sort of becomes a squire in a sense. Um, and they stumble upon a bald man in the dirt named Del Gyu, and Del Gyu is also a mountain man. He's pissed off some Blackfoot Native Americans and, uh, they free Del Gyu from this, this, uh, you know, classic Western convention of being buried up to your neck in sand. Uh, they, he agrees to, you know, not leave Del Gyu to die out with no equipment and naked in the, in the middle of the desert. Um, he helps him, um, find the Blackfoot, uh, marauders who stole his horse and his pelts. Um, Del Gyu promise, he doesn't quite promise, but, um, essentially Jeremiah Johnson sets a, a rule that he, they can't kill these Blackfoot uh, Native Americans that that's not one of his his rules um he's he they have no qualms with him and he wants to live here he doesn't want to piss off the the, the native population um as we discussed in the opening he will eventually piss off the crow people so um they go and they Delgu can't be trusted he shoots he shoots these these uh blackfoot uh native americans um as as vengeance and almost gets jeremiah johnson himself killed the boy is starting to bond with him and um D jeremiah johnson separates himself from delgu because this man is clearly wild and erratic um however they need to travel together um for a little bit longer so um they end up running into a different tribe, the Flathead, which is, um, you know, in, in a modern parlance, uh, if you want to actually call them by their name, they're the Salish people. The Salish people take him, take them in, um, and they begin bartering with each other. The Salish people do not like um, the Blackfoot, and they do not like the Crow overall, um, so they <laughs> um, allow them to trade the scalps that Del Gyu took from these black these dead blackfoot um despite the fact that um jeremiah johnson as a character has no interest in scalping in this whole movie uh very important jeremiah johnson does not scalp and Del Gyu um uh, kind of walks him through this negotiation process and jeremiah johnson ends up selling him selling the um 
the the um, Salish people uh, horses and pelts and the, um, the scalps of these Blackfoot. And he ends up with a wife out of it because he doesn't totally understand the negotiation. And now he has a wife and a child that he doesn't didn't really want. Um, and they don't get along great at first, but eventually they start to warm to each other. Jeremiah Johnson doesn't like the way she cooks. Uh, the boy is mute and refuses to speak or is in unable to speak. It's not really clear because uh, he's not a psychologist or a doctor. So um, there you go. And he he works in sort of brutish communication with a woman who can't understand his language and, um, you know, only embarrassed and uh, a boy who can understand his language, but can't really respond back um, in, in, in the verbal patterns. So they they eventually grow to be closer. They build a cabin. They build a little life together. And there's a intermission moment here where... Um, a uh, group of settlers guarded by uh, infantry troops um, is stuck and needs help guiding through Crow territory. Um, and at this point, Jeremiah Johnson has no issue with the Crow people. They start guiding. Uh, he, he determines to take this job on because uh, he does not want this group of people to be slaughtered. He, doesn't, he wants them to make it through the territory safe. Um, so he starts guiding them, um, and they come to this point where there's, they're on sacred ground, and they said they can cut the route by 20 miles. Um, and Jeremiah Johnson says, you know, just don't, don't do that. Um, we, can, we can go around. <clears throat> and uh, they kind of guilt him into saying, like, hey, the, these people would be a lot safer if we can get them out of here faster. Um, and he determines to go through sacred ground. Uh, and on the way back, he sees some signs that maybe something is is wrong. Uh, he has committed a transgression, like like the all the skeletons, all the skeletons, and he <laughs> runs. Make it sound like he's like reading the tea leaves and interpreting. It. It's like <laughs> I wonder if all these dead bodies left left out to ward off people is some sort of message to me. Yeah, and, and I, I can't quite tell what they're doing here. I'm curious if this is a um, a sky burial style thing, um, because they're kind of on um, a uh, structure. Um, yeah. And they're kind of just sitting out bare in the sun to be bleached into bones. I'm curious if that was just a a crow people, an Asaro, Asaro um, uh, burial uh, technique. I wasn't able to really ascertain a lot of information on that, but it, it does definitely make. I guess I thought it was image. a warning. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he heads back, and his because of this, because of this situation, he has been uh, marked for death from the Crow people um, for violating his sacred lands. He was living on their sacred lands fine, or he was living on Crow territory before fine with no threats. Um, but now that he's violated the the sacred lands, it's a whole different deal. So he runs home, he finds his son and his wife dead, uh, and he goes and, and vows vengeance at them. This, this, they're there's not quite enough time spent on them as a family. It's kind of two quick scenes, but um, this has been enough for him to say, you know, like these people are under my protection. I need to go get my vengeance. And he goes and he kills the the particular hunting party, the marauding party that um, killed his family. And at this point, the crow have determined that 
Uh, we find out through him and through, you know, various characters, the, the crow have determined that um, this is, Jeremiah Johnson is an adversary, and they're going to send um, hitmen, essentially, after him every so often. And so he murders, he gets his vengeance immediately, but after that, it's kind of hollow. He just becomes a mountain man. He burns down his, his log cabin, his beautiful sort of, you know, semi-domestic life that he built the semblance of civilization uh, d- determines to go revert back to being a mountain man or um, progress to being a mountain man further down the line, whichever way you want to view it. And um, he, he runs into Del, Del Gu again. He runs into Black Claw again, his sort of mentors dash people he's rejected. Um, irrespectively, I guess he rejected Del Gu and he did very much. Yeah, it is kind of like uh, like uh, the five people you meet after your family's been murdered and you take revenge against an entire people um, book. Yeah, yeah Del Gu is like two steps shy of a Cormac McCarthy character and and uh, Black Claw is or uh, Bear Claw is, is like a, almost like a cartoonish uh, Disney style mentor. Yeah. Um, and who's this over the next ridge? Lewis and Clark, the first explorers of this land. <laughs> I'm meeting them all. And and so he, he he's Christopher um, Columbus. Christopher Columbus. What are you doing here, you son of a bitch? <laughs> God, wouldn't it wouldn't it rule to kick Christopher Columbus's ass? Like, not that I have the place to do it, but he was probably like this. You know, judging by historical patterns, he was probably just like a little guy. You could probably like punt him back into the ocean, right? So many people talk about going back in time to kill baby Hitler. More people should be talking about going back in time to beat up Christopher Columbus. Yeah, I would love to just set fire to the Mayflower. I mean, Mayflower is unrelated to Christopher Columbus, but I'm I am a hundred percent supportive. Oh no, I'm that just generally well. the anti-colonialist, yeah. like. Also, I would have to pay less to be in Europe because I would be in Europe. Just think about it that way. Yeah, people are like, oh, you won't exist? Like, yeah. I don't have to keep... uh, I've been living in a basement for 18 months. (laughs) I'm fine. Mm. American sense of independence has gotten me a lot of great places. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so uh, Christopher Columbus, bad guy. So he he kind of goes on this this. Uh, he, there's a montage sequence where he's yeah, he being just hunted. he kills a bunch of people. He counteracts their their hunting. The hunter becomes the hunted, and uh, eventually uh, he determines he's going to go to Canada, which is uh, not true of what the actual Jeremiah Johnson did. But that's why we're moving on from it. He determines he's going to go to Canada and starts working his way north, um, which is actually, you know, historically deeper into Crow territory. And he grows to be more misanthropic. Like he grows to be more depressed and, and, and lonesome. And he, he, at the end of the movie, he makes, it's, it, it hasn't been 25 years, but he has, um, sort of uh made a truce and a nonverbal truce with um paints his shirt red um to stop the hunting um so now jeremiah johnson is back to being an alone mountain man he will not be hunted anymore but he kind of got what he wanted but in another sense like he did he? Through, he, he in a sense he uh didn't because he got to be his lone he wanted to be a man on his own he wanted he he immediately rejected people 
as much as he could um, when he was in the mountains. Um, and he didn't want to have a wife. He didn't want to have a kid. Uh, he didn't want to have a, this guy, this Delgue guy, uh, slowing him down. Um, now he doesn't have anybody. He's just alone and kind of caught between worlds. Um, so it's a very sad ending for somebody who wanted to get back to nature. Well, but, I mean, he got what he wanted in a, in a roundabout way. I guess, like, so, you know, what's interesting is that, again, have not seen Wild yet. The other two movies that we have seen, one which we've talked about, Grizzly Man, that we're doing for this month, and one, Mosquito Coast, you know exactly why those people, in their own words, want to get away from it all. Right, Timothy Treadwell never shuts up about it. Uh, fucking Harrison Ford's character in Mosquito Coast never shuts up about it. Right, here's a movie where you have the same instinct on potentially right. Like there, there is some instinct at least if you just look at the movie on the whole that is causing him to go. I don't want to be a part of civilization, which at that point civilization was you know slightly less roughing it than not being a part of civilization. But I, you know, part of me imagines that, like, if she would have verbalized those, I would think they were dumb, too. And I don't mean that to be dismissive. I don't mean it to be like, uh, hey, you idiot, in the, to the wild guy, like, maybe learn about berries. Like, I'm definitely not that. We talked about that last week. But, like, there is a part of me that, like, I, I, I did really like this movie. It's gorgeous. It's amazingly acted. Um, but, like, if I'm just thinking of, like, how I relate to the character, I don't relate to the character because there is just a sense of, like, you're being stupid. Stop doing these things. And that leads to a lot of pathos as you watch a character who's uh, well portrayed by an actor I really love. But, like, as a, like, personal relation to, like, like yes, I would like to stand and look at that water <laughs> – but I don't know if I could handle the cost of continuing to, like, like you know, there's the part where, like, he comes home and his family's dead. And it's like, yeah, just, just give up. Like, and, it, and it, you know, like, don't just go home. I don't know where home is for you. I don't know what but you're doing the problem. before there all is this. No, there is no home. You, you, well, you we don't, don't know learn that, any though, other, right? You don't learn any other. For people that don't yeah. feel at home with this world, there is no other place and that's why these movies are so fascinating to me because like there are every one of us and we started this with grizzly man every one of us goes through yeah. times um some yeah. of them some of them end up turning into something else but every one of us goes through times where you're like the present facet of society that i'm engaging with um is so deeply alienating that i'm i'm out of here like i don't want to deal with people anymore i don't want to deal with these people anymore whatever's happening yeah. and like oh, i don't I don't. I, I don't have no sympathy for this character because the inherent. No, tragedy, I'm not saying that. Because the inherent tragedy here is that he actually did figure out. He figured out how to engage with mankind while also living out on his own by living the American dream for a short period of time, where he built his own cabin, out out you know, on crow territory. Um, he built a, and like that didn't offend them. They were fine with that. Yeah, he had, um, he had a convert. He had, he had he, conversations. Might not be the right word, but he had a meeting with them and kind of like got 
blessings to some level. And he did some trading with them, which built a relationship, yep. which means like, you know, going forward that they, they, you know, they have, when they recognize him, they can know him as like that particular mountain man. And then his, um, his fatal flaw, his, his sort of like tragedy was, his fatal downfall was uh, determining that uh, their traditions, uh, he was kind of pressured by the old world, particularly his military history, maybe, um, to yeah, to I mean, I up, guess to give up on the the you know the he 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 clearly valued even non-verbally he clearly valued the the traditions of the crow highly, but you know the old world came in and colonialism came in and said like. Don't you don't you care about these white people needing getting where they need to go? These white people need to get out there. Um, these well, they use the term Christian, but you know what that means. They yeah, they can't they can't seem to kill enough of these Indians to stop getting killed by them. So if you could go and kill some of them, super helpful for us. Yeah, so that's like that's like the tragedy of the final act is that like he did. He did find his peace between nature and society, which is that he built his own little makeshift family made of um, people he did not choose. Um, people that were hoisted no, on him. Literally and, foisted upon him. Yeah. yeah. And I wish, actually, this movie is under two hours. I wish that they had, I wish that they had spent a little bit of time, like, building them up as a family a little bit more. Um not to make that moment more painful, but to make that point clearer, like as a narrative. yeah, I do. Th- you know, I do think you bring up a good point, which actually makes a lot of sense. Like he very clearly, like as far as we know, he wasn't even concerned about settling anywhere. He didn't have this idea to go build a house, right? So, like you can take on the on on the surface level that he was rejecting all the trappings of society. Um, we know that he was leaving uh, some participation in the army. He didn't want to necessarily even build a house. Like, he just wanted to live on the land. He, you know, had no desire to have a family or a wife or a kid. And I, you know, I do think there's, I think you're right. This is someone who is trying to get away from it, but is not able to get away from it because all of those things come back around, right? Like, he doesn't want to have a house. Well, uh, eventually he has a wife that's foisted upon him and a kid that's foisted upon him. And so where do you have to keep your wife and your kid i guess i gotta build a house here which is again kind of the thing that i think you can make you can make an argument that the the crow um uh people from the beginning of the movie were almost giving him a like a hey you're just kind of passing through and living here like you're not making a homestead you're not doing all these things that these settlers that are are encroaching are doing like you're free to go that's never said but they're clearly he is not settling that we're aware He's of. He's not building a fort or a trading post. Or a home, even, right? Like, he is just passing through and trying to f- figure out how to survive on the land. There, as far as we know, is no destination. And then at some point, he's, like, forced to have a destination. Like, because he has a wife and he has a kid and he has to feed him and he has to keep him somewhere. And then the obligation of his time in the army comes back around. So, like, he, to your point, I think that's right. Like, he gets everything he wants. But he he gets it at the cost, like, he he essentially, like, rejected all that stuff, then it's foisted upon him, and then it's taken away from him, and then he gets everything he wants, which ultimately, like, you know, um, you know, I never want to get married, and then you get married, and your wife dies. Like, there's a there's something that occurred in between you saying you never wanted to get married, 
and then getting married and then being back to not married, right? Like, that's kind of what this movie is. It's him rejecting all that stuff, but, like, um, there's just never far enough away from it. And I also think you could make potentially the point or the interpretation that part of the reason you can never get that far away from it is because America was so overrun with the ideology of manifest destiny that there there wasn't a point by this point in our history where settler encroachment didn't exist right which is why he keeps moving further west and north and he keeps running into more homesteaders and more the army's able to track them down can i interject really quickly there's a great the first one of the first things that bear claw says to him is that this area um he's looking for uh trap uh he's looking for pelts and uh, one of the first things Bear Claw says to him is that, like, oh, this area is, is all gone. Like, they already hunt, over-hunted this yeah, area. Yeah, over-hunted, over, over, over a decade yeah. ago, maybe two decades ago. I forget what year this takes place in, but um, I think it's, like, he says in, like, 24. Um, so, like, well, if, if theoretically the Civil War hasn't happened, like, it's mid-60s, right? Or mid-40s or 50s? So, the yeah, so the Mexican... American War ended in the 40s, so it's at least that. Okay. Um, so he's, he's you know, at a minimum, he's at a decade, decade and a half, maybe longer. Uh, so th- even the area that he is trying to set out, and he has this very specific idea of how he's going to make money off of the land, is based on um, old lies. Um, o- old lies and old, old manifest destiny dreams. Like, that's, yeah. Yeah, and that that part is very interesting, right? Like, you have a movie that most Old West movies, like this idea of an untamed wilderness, which, again, is a very colonial idea. I'm just saying it for the purposes of, of articulating what I think something that this movie is getting at, or at least is, is saying. Like, so many of, like, our Old West manifestations is, like, late 1800s, right? Like, 1890s, like... You don't get too many westerns that take place pre-Civil War, and part of that is just because one thing that a lot of people who make westerns like to do is use, like, the Civil War as some sort of touch point for a character's motivation, because it's such a central part of American history, and, like, you either get to have, like, the good northerner who, like, is ideology run right confronting something, or, like, you know, what ends up happening way more often, especially in John Ford-type westerns and inspired by that, is, like, the lost cause, like, you know, reconstruction, like, huh, this poor southerner just tried to defend his land, and now he's lost a war. Can he gain a family? Can he build a bank? Like, all that kind of stuff. And so there's there's really not, like, that many westerns that take place pre-Civil War. And so I think... um you know, like, what's your favorite movie about the Revolutionary War, Peter? <laughs> like, doesn't really exist for, <laughs> for yeah. all practical purposes. Yeah, like, they're, they're generally, generally not uh, what I'm looking for. But yeah, it's a you're, you're no, but I mean, right like, they also, don't really exist, a, right? Like, for yeah, such a for such a huge part in American history, like, think how many like World War Two or Civil War, post Civil War, uh, World War. You know, there's even World War One movies have more than like. There's not that like. That's an era, like, pre-Civil War is not an era that we've made a lot of Westerns out of. Well, also, um, one of the one of the practical um, reasons for why is that uh, people are very enamored with the idea of, like, a 45 uh, cult 
single action army kind of pistol yeah. in this era yeah. it's all musket loading so the jeremiah johnson shoots off his hawkin um you know muzzle loading rifle his 50 caliber muzzle loading rifle and then yeah that rifle is now a club there's no yeah it, there's no reloading like if you you shot one of the crow indians that's trying to kill you now you have to go like tackle one of them with your big fucking bowie knife i don't even know if bowie knives are historically accurate to this period maybe it's a tiny yeah. little like flensing knife to take for taking the fat off of animals like there another reason for why is that like you want to see like the six shooter is like yeah. such a classic part of um, Western it's, iconography. It's even why it was like the first, the worst Assassin's Creed game. It's like, okay, well, it's mostly wilderness, and all the Revolutionary War battles are basically like um, the army stays in a fort for the winter, and a, enough of their people don't shit themselves to death that they kill eight people and win. Right? Yes. Like, it's just not that dynamically exciting. Oh, yeah, oh my god. Course- Assassin's Creed 3 is, like, so fucking unplayable. You have to hit, like, four buttons to, like, get your gun to reload. And then at that point, you could have stabbed, like, 15 of them because it's a video game. Yeah. It's like they really wanted to introduce guns, but they're like, what if we make guns not fun in a game that was way more fun? Without guns. I realize the development team was probably American, but it feels like a distinctly French thing from a French company. (laughs) Well, also, the reason it's no fun to play, too, is because, like, the whole thing of Assassin's Creed is you're one secret assassin taking on armies, which is fun if you get to stealth around and stab people in the neck then walk away. Less fun when, say, yes, it is true that... uh, it takes a long time to reload, but when it's you versus, uh, I don't know, a fort of people getting shot a hundred times while you wait for your one musket bullet to load is not a fun way to play. Not particularly. Um, but yeah, that's no. there's a reason. The, the the fact that all the fights in this movie are, are so cool in this last half um, so, is because uh, they're so vicious and fast, and there's usually like two to four bullets fired and they have serious impact like it's something that's very fun to watch in a in a dramatic sense here because it's guided by Sidney Pollock who's a very good director and he captures the chaos of the scene but like he's mostly capturing the brutality of this like uh in i think in the mind of of jeremiah johnson and in the mind of like you know the audience is is going to seem like this pointless brutality like we can we don't need we don't need to have have these exchanges so the fact that it is a like a muzzle loading hawkin 50 caliber big fucking you know you shoot one shot and then it takes you 60 seconds to load the next one is is very like thematically appropriate i mean it's historically but it's thematically appropriate because it is like he's like half of the kills are him like one person shoots and the other person dives out of the way and then the and then uh jeremiah johnson beats one of the the warriors to death with his weapon like it's a fucking club or he pulls out his bowie knife like that's it's thematically appropriate to the amount of resignation he has about this he fucking hates this yeah, and that's why, like, I really think that, like, the time frame in this is really, I think, what ultimately connected me with that theme of, like, okay, this is the 1840s, right? And there's just 
people everywhere in this quote-unquote untamed wilderness like i think a time that you and i like in our heads if we're like we're we're hiking up in montana in the 1840s we could go for weeks without seeing another person period and almost certainly months without seeing another white person and like this is a movie that is very much about he goes off into the untamed wilderness at a time that it was at its most untamed and this motherfucker can't stop stumbling into white people like they keep ruining his life mm-hmm. and um and I, I i think or have had their lives ruined by being out there like they're frozen and dead and all that kind of shit so like i i think that like that is you know, we we get a lot of weird, uh, not weird, but like uh, unfortunate. Probably the nicest way to put that, like, uh, no more frontier shit over the last like thirty years, right? Like, you know, it's why like James Cameron keeps trying to like drill down to the bottom of the sea because he's like everything's explored, right? And or now Jeff Bezos rides rides that penis to space for a little bit just so he can do something that like yeah, i can see anything i'm jeff bezos i've got alexas in everyone's house uh, old, old, old jeffy it's this idea that like now it's gone and i i really like the idea of like oh like white people ruin shit so quickly that in 1840 it was like a mountain man who wanted to be a mountain man in fucking montana couldn't get away from white people oh Absolutely. And it's, um, it's a situation wherein it's a situation wherein you begin to wonder how much of this am I allowed to have fun with? Like, because the end of it is like, I keep pointing out like the end of this movie is very fucking fun. But like, (laughs) you're like, buddy, you can go somewhere and then you won't have to kill any of these like hunters coming after you, these warriors coming after you. You can be out of their range. Like there's there's no trains through here, man. They're not going to they're going to hop in a train and come find you. They're 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 just going to, you know, say you're dead and probably yeah. you know, rightfully so. Um they the, the, I I I'm just um there is a question that, like, now I'm actually coming to your point, which is like, okay, you know, go back to your home. Well, there is no home to go to, but it's certainly not here. And that's, like, why the end of the movie, I think, hits me hard emotionally is that, like, he's trying to go to Canada because he's like, there's there's somewhere else to go. There's somewhere else that I can I can explore. That's problematic. Yeah. And his own, why do you think that that's going to work out any better than this place? Like, are you going to avoid the very specific mistakes you made is your bitter heart going to cause more sinning and violence like are you're not the same man you were when you came to this wilderness why would you be a different man when you went up there like the sort of tragedy of the ending is is just really touches me yeah and also you know even white people can't get away from white people <laughs> oh yeah it's where it's wherever it's where camping comes from we cause problems everywhere yeah, I think we're coming to kind of good final thoughts here, which is that like um there's a moment when Dell Dell is a character I'm not particularly fond of because again, he's like a basically a Cormac McCarthy character. Um, yeah, he's what Jeremiah Johnson would be if Sam Peckinpah 
directed the movie. A hundred percent. Dude, that's a good call. Yeah. Because he, he, he's such a misanthrope, but like a verbal misanthrope. And like he, 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 he uh, shaves his head so that it won't make a good scalp. And then later in the movie, he has this awful, like long wild man, ha- like uh, hairstyle. And it's because he grew his hair out. He's like, you know, maybe I do want to be remembered when I'm being scalped. Like that's a very, that's a well, very. And also peck- he takes scalps as the way to like barter with. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, a he's he's perfectly amoral. Whereas, like, all bear claw wants is to is to hunt bears. Like, he's he's only interested in grizz. But there's Delk Yu has a line that I feel like should have been put into Bear Claw's mouth because Bear Claw is like somebody you listen to because he seems like a genuinely sweet person. Because ultimately, what come what this movie comes back to is just similar to T- uh, Timothy Treadwell. Jeremiah Johnson, so alliteration names. Um, they same amount of syllables, maybe. Jeremiah, no. they're both fake. Jeremiah names. Jeremiah might also. be a little longer. Yeah, <laughs> they're both also fake names. So, um, the uh, Jeremiah Johnson went out in the wild. He was very stubborn and very naive about his his, his prospects, similar to Timothy Treadwell. Um, however, Jeremiah Johnson found a, a wild man to meant to uh, mentee him to mentor him. Um, and, uh, he was even stubborn about that. And, um, then when the time comes and he runs into the quote unquote crazy woman, the woman who's just, her her whole family's been slaughtered minus one child. Um, he is like, fuck, I have to return the the favor. Um, so Del, uh, Del Gu does not fit that, that mold. Like, um, Jeremiah Johnson is like mountain men sometimes take you know, society under its wing and like takes pity on society, despite the fact that like, we don't need any of these people. We can go out there. We can fish our own fish. We can get our own deer. We can get our own deer hide. We can make our own home. We can build our own cabin. We don't need any of you people, but occasionally you need to take, take pity on the dumbass just wandering out in the wilderness. That is Jeremiah Johnson himself. Um, and Doug, you has a line that I feel like belonged in, um, belonged in, uh, in, in uh, Bear Claw's mouth, which is uh, he's, he's just ranting, and there's a, there's a line he says, uh, "There's no churches except this one out here, and there's no priests except for the birds," which is just this like kind of beautiful sort of frontier poet um, that's not about fucking a hole in the ground. Um, that unfortunately, a lot of Christians heard him say that, and they're like, "There's not what?" <laughs> they're like, "We need to get." A church out here for every 200 people. Every five miles, there should be a church. Ideally. I, I moved out of the Chicago suburbs, and then I didn't realize that, like, there are parts of the country where there isn't a church every three blocks. Yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. Um, But, yeah, so the uh, Jeremiah Johnson... Um, sort of uh that i th- I really like that that auspices that they're like they're out there there's there's no one out there but nature to to rule over them and yet somehow um they are still being ruled over by by yeah. the, the structures that um they 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 brought with them um Dell even suggests he leaves the mountains and he refuses and at that point i feel like his his actual death is kind of sealed like he's going to die just because he made some dumb mistake or he gets gored by an elk or whatever's going to happen to him as he travels north. Um, 
and 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 I feel like the uh, just to move to my final thoughts, and then we can kind of circle mm-hmm. back. Um, Jeremiah Johnson has to leave again because he's once again turned off by and rejected by another world. He he left the world of the quote unquote civilized white man, and now he's out here and he's dealing with culture again. He's dealing with cultural norms. He, the wild is not wild. The wild has people living in it. <laughs> they have cultural norms and expectations for how you're going to fucking behave, and um. It, it, he's just a man that like is stuck between stuck between worlds because he consciously is trying to find a space that does not exist anymore. Um, and by the end, like he, despite the fact that he doesn't want to be, um, he, he sort of is embracing the fact that he's going to be this adversary to the, to the crow people. Like there's a monument being built to him in one of the final scenes in the movie. Um, and he's like, kind of, he's like, oh, it's a little soon to be building me my burial ground. They're like, no, they keep coming here and just making it bigger. They're building, they're building you a a monument. This is, it's not about just, you know, pure wanting to have you in the ground. They, they, you're an adversary that has defeated their, you know, their mightiest warriors and they're going to keep sending mighty warriors after you. Like, um, so even, even a man that is a, even a man that is hated, even a man that is a, an outlaw of this 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 group is still p- connected to culture and society, and I feel like that's truly the revolution of this movie, and why I love this movie is that like, um, you're you're never really out there alone. There's other mountain men, Native Americans, uh, plotted this land before fucking Christopher Columbus, the genocidal colonizer even set one foot on this land before plague ravaged this land both accidentally and purposefully um we we, society is there there's you you're too late you're not you're not living in caveman times there is no uncharted corner of this country to plot and you can lie to yourself and say there is but there's not you're just gonna that uh yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly right. And the two things I would call out as my final thought on that, when he goes back to the homestead where the 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 woman had lost her family except for the son, which he gave, you know, he, he kind of goes back near the end to kind of say, you know, don't loan something that you need back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he heads back there to tell her and, and – the you know initially is like under the impression that there's, there's a new person living there, just a guy, and he assumes that he killed her and, and and puts you know puts his gun in in his in the back of his head, and he's like no like she just died like we we moved in here and she was already gone, and he's like show me and they go to this new like little house that they built that is essentially like a panic room, and they open the door and there's like four kids and his wife hiding in there from violence. And like, in some ways that also articulates the themes of the movie. And what we've been talking about is like, okay, the it's almost like a, you know, a virus, right? Like, okay. The first incarnation of the virus was wiped out pretty quickly. Right. So the new white people host move in <laughs> and they find a way to have even more kids but survive like it's not the idea that someone looked at that and said oh shit this whole family was murdered 
maybe I shouldn't have a house here because I have a family and kids that I don't want murdered. Instead, they're like, no, we're still going to do it. How do we outwit the 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 situation that like that that beat them and that kind of almost speaks to the, like the relentlessness of manifest destiny that was like in some ways once that you know pandora's box was opened like inevitable like no one learned any fucking lessons and they just kept coming stronger with more force with new tricks until you know it was inevitable that the entire uh you know country was taken over by uh you know or c- colonial uh, and then the last thing I'll say, and then we can uh, wrap it up, is that this this almost should have been our last movie of this month because it's almost a perfect bookend with Grizzly Man. Because in Grizzly Man, um, at the end of the movie, Timothy Treadwell famously and his girlfriend get eaten by bears. And in this movie, at the beginning of the movie, uh, Jeremiah Johnson kills and eats a bear. So in some ways, it's like it's like you know it's poetry, like it rhymes. You know, <laughs> it's like a, he's like he's like an anti grizzly man. He's like an yeah. He like got the vengeance on the grizzlies that Timothy Treadfell. I'm not gonna say would would wish for because he probably wouldn't say that, but secretly would have wanted. So perfect bookend. Unfortunately, it doesn't work as a bookend because we still have two more episodes. And next week is our Patreon, who inspired this month, uh, Sean, who sponsored it, who will be joining us as a guest on uh, Reese, the Reese Witherspoon starring Wild, a movie I heard very good things about when it came out and then never got around to watching. So Yes, abso- wh- absolutely. I'm very excited to have uh, Sean on the show. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, <laughs> it's just kind of fun because like, we through the show we've gotten to meet so many cool people and we've gotten to meet so many cool people and we've gotten to have such a a, a wonderful sort of back and forth with a community um as modest as as it can be um so yeah just thank you everyone for listening and also thank you sean for sponsoring what is this month sean had such a fun idea for a month i was like yeah Aaron, we've been looking for an excuse to do Grizzly Man for forever. We've also been looking for an excuse to do this. And then Aaron was like, wait a minute. I've been wanting to do Mosquito Coast for years. I've been wanting to rewatch Mosquito Coast since I was 12. Yes. And and I think while before we move on, I really like this is something I want to I want to touch on uh, really quickly. uh, And I'll touch on again in um, Wild. Um, Like. This is this month is like very is very specifically guided. We moved a lot of elements around because like this is about this is about survival films about people who like elected to go out in the wild and try and find themselves and like we eliminate which eliminates stuff like Castaway or The Revenant or Gravity or Live yeah. or The Gray or The Martian or Underwater whereas like they went out in the wild but for work. Like that was their that they went out in the wild and it becomes a survival story, but that was that was them for work. They wasn't they weren't out there for you know self realization. They're just trying to get back to civilization. Um, it also eliminates simple misadventure, which is just like people like going to have fun, like 127 hours or yeah. Swiss all, Family Robinson specifically did not want to get get away from it all. A hundred percent. 
So Swiss Family Robinson, 127 Hours, uh, Lord of the Flies, um, All is Lost. Like, um, we're specifically making a month about our protagonists electing nature for self-discovery um, and to either, like, recreate themselves or to, you know, rediscover themselves, like, sort of like um, Walden by Thoreau. And I feel like Wild is, is going to be sort of the centerpiece of this month. Because it's specifically about like a very common like ideas like that all of us can all of us can relate to. I can't necessarily relate to Timothy Treadwell. I can't ever necessarily relate to Jeremiah Johnson. I hundred percent cannot relate to Ali Fox. Um, yeah, I can definitely <laughs> relate to Reese Witherspoon and Wild. So it'll be a if fun. You, if be you fun. could relate to Ali Fox, we would not have a podcast. No, for a variety of no for a variety of reasons. Yeah, uh, no. I'm excited. And then I also think the great thing about doing Wild is that um, I haven't seen it. It is based on a true story. It's based on a memoir that the person who experienced it wrote. So I imagine, unlike Grizzly Man. It does not end in horrible tragedy. Um, so I don't they, think it's they a had to at least memoir. come back with one hand to do some writing. Yeah. Or or a mouth that works to, dic- uh, uh, exactly. to dictate it. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I would say about Wild uh, is that I have called it a 2018 movie, I think, on two episodes now. Uh, it's a 2014 movie and time marches for us all. <laughs> um, much like Jeremiah Johnson. I've been putting out. off watching this movie for seven years. I know, I really thought it was very recent. And as I was looking it up to confirm it was based on a true story, which I thought it was, but as I mentioned it, I'm like, 2014? This is the year my oldest daughter in second grade was born? Like, I I distinctively remember talking about this recently uh, as a movie to catch up on. But no, Peter, we're just... You know I'm going to Google this, right? Because I don't believe you. You can go ahead and Google it. Uh, you were uh, one year out of college when this movie came out, if you want to know um, how much time comes for us all. I just I just adopted a thousand-yard stare. <laughs> Mamma mia. All right. Well, we're we're better, old. Um, but yes, go I'm very excited wall. about next Good night. <laughs> um, a movie that came out in 2019. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. 
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. <laughs> Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>